This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello everybody and welcome to the Super J Cost. I'm Jim Abraham, joined by Damon McDonalds. How are we doing this week, Damon? Great. Great. We're washing our hands. We are uh, distancing continually as we should and um, watching a lot of classic pro wrestling. Getting through, right? But again, it feels like there's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel for all of us and most of us. Um, some things seem to be trying to at least come back. Some things are doing the right thing and staying away until the time is right. And, uh, we're all going to get through this together. That's what I like to say. We're all in the, we're here for you, Joel. I don't know if you know this, but, uh, we're here for you in this troubling time. <laughs> I hear that one more certain time. times. Oh my God. If I hear that one more time, everyone. And then it's like, you know. Thank you, Ace Hardware. Yeah, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Get out of here. Thank you, Ford, for being there for me. Yeah. If I could respond to these emails by spitting in the faces of the people who wrote them, I would. Oh, they're just all just carbon copy template. Like one person took the chance a little bit and wrote this, and then everyone just used the exact same language because they know. It's super safe, and it's su- and they always have the heartwarming voice that may- that tries to give you inspiration and hope, but yet gives you comfort at the same time. Ugh, go fuck yourself. I hate you. Yeah, we don't do that here on the Super J Cast. We no. don't give a fuck how the listeners are doing. I don't care. <laughs> right. Listen, we're struggling too here. We got our own problems. I don't give a shit. Uh, that's not true, though, Joel. We we do care. We uh, for the most part. <laughs> Right? No? It's a sliding scale, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> there it are is. some more than others. <laughs> right, I'll give you that. That that is the accurate statement. Some people, quite honestly, could could fall off a cliff, and I don't think we'd shed a tear. Um, hey, how's everything out there in Hotel Land? It's good. We've explored some other options, possibly going back to Mali's hometown or renting somewhere outside of Bangkok or moving into a smaller apartment and we just decided nah we're not going to do that because right. we like the hotel even though it's you know a bit more expensive we just figured like is there's no point making our lives more difficult and miserable for the sake of you know saving an extra five dollars a day or something it's not worth it is it and I no. think just the little things like being able to leave this room in a complete fucking mess and then go downstairs and get a coffee for an hour and then come back and they've cleaned it all up for us. It's little touches like that which make this uh, difficult time a bit more easy to bear. And it's just little things make me laugh. Like uh, I mentioned these restaurants are now open up with social distancing restrictions. So me and Mali, if we go into one of these restaurants, we're not allowed to sit adjacent to each other or opposite each other because, you know, we might spread the virus to each other. And it's like, you are aware that we live together. Right. <laughs> we share a bed together every night and making us sit diagonally from each other is probably not going to do much for that. But uh, there you go. I, I don't know what I'm proposing here that if they, you know, special checks like, uh, 
do, if you live together, then you're allowed to sit next to you. But it, it wouldn't really work, would it? Uh, I mean, it, it does. But you kiss. Silly. You have to kiss each other if you want to <laughs> sit next to each other. <laughs> right, right, right. Please allow boob access. Okay, you can sit together. <laughs> <laughs> All right, granted. Uh, yeah, no, it's no that... boob access for me, Damon. No, no. <laughs> the, the exclusive property of Esther. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Anytime, even if I try and give around, she's like, don't touch the boobs. <laughs> oh, you've lost complete boob access? I know. They I, they were two of my favorite parts. Right. <laughs> so of course they would be. Ah, oh, that's terrible news. I didn't know. I didn't know that was part of it. Did you know that was going to be part of the deal? You didn't know that. Uh, no, yeah. I didn't. No one warned me of that. Why Why didn't anybody tell me? Why didn't any of the listeners say? Yeah, you do know about boob access is going to be taken away. IVF uh, doctor didn't explain that. Right, we're, we're about to go with the embryo transfer, but just before we do that, you are aware that the boobs are going to be off limits for you. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, okay, put that back in the freezer. Yeah. I didn't agree to this. Don't throw that thing out. Keep that in there. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow, that stinks. That is one thing. That is one um, wonderful, wonderful perk of married life. It's like, and it, and it works both ways. So let's be very clear. Uh, just the idea of like, uh, you know, walking in the kitchen, you know, grabbing yourself a beverage of some kind, just you know, turning around and yeah, grabbing a boob. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will say this though, I am seeing them a lot more than I used to because they're pretty much out all of the time, yeah. <laughs> given the uh, feeding on demand schedule. But uh, you know, swings and roundabouts. I, I, I do what I can in these uncertain times. Do I got to get you a flashlight? <laughs> <laughs> Forget the PlayStation. Ah, uh, good lord. All right, there you go. There's your booby talk for the night. Uh, brought to you by the Super J Cast. <laughs> um. Right, good. So again, I, I, every, everybody were everybody I, that I talk to, Joel, uh, again, always wants to hear a, an update on how you're making out um, in the in the hotel. It is a it is a crazy. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, hold on. Back up there. They want to hear an update on how me and Mally are making out in the hotel. Well, I mean, how you doing? Like, I like. How oh, you, okay. Sorry, yeah, not <laughs> how you making the phrasing it. of that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, being that we were on top. Uh, no, how you how uh, things are going? You know your situation. If everything is okay, if, you know. So uh, it is a, a hot topic, not only in this house, but uh, elsewhere. So yes, they they uh, all everyone's concerned. Everyone wants you to be safe and sound. So uh, that's why we do that each and every week. And I know our listeners appreciate that. Speaking of our listeners, Damon, how about that New Japan rap by Le John Ensman? On Twitter, which I've retweeted on our Twitter, pretty yeah. great work, no? I know. I, I he did another one. He did one uh, back in the day, um, and I'll pull back the curtain. Like I'm always, like not. Um, I'm always like on eggshells a little bit when it comes to that because what if I don't like it? <laughs> you know what I mean? I always think, oh, what, what do I do if I don't like it? Um, but I do. I think it's great. Um, I think I think it was just creatively done, and I mean, he's it's not like he's shoehorning in rhymes, but he's making it work. I I thought it was really great. Um, yeah, go out of your way to to, to listen to that. Um, I th- I, sh- I saw he got some love from uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Kevin Kelly showed a little love for it as well. Uh, I thought it was a great job. Um, yeah, he's a longtime listener, and I definitely appreciate. 
that, and he gives us a little shout out at the end, right? Uh, so that was cool. I, I really enjoyed that. So he's a creative guy. I couldn't certainly do that. I can't even put two words together without a beat, let alone all that. Uh, very old school style, wouldn't you say? A little, uh, I heard a lot of uh, 90s influence, wouldn't you say? You're probably asking the wrong person here. Yeah, I me too, really. I'm talking about my ass. <laughs> 90s rap of it punched me in the face, but there you go. Good stuff. Uh, speaking of audio treats to go in your ears, how about that most recent episode of Wrestling Omakase with yes. one Joel Abraham I joining our friend John Carroll? Yes, I did. I listened while I was uh, doing keyword bid adjustments. <laughs> uh, yes, it was a great episode as always. I think you guys, I think you guys have a very good chemistry. Um, I think it's important, um, even for guests, that they have. You know, they're not uh, oil and water. It's got to be a, a good a good mix, and you got to know how to play off each other, and you got to know how to vibe 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 off each other. I, I want to say, um, and it was good. And then you guys went into like the video games and shit, and, and oh my god, you have a lot in common. You have a lot in common. Um, the '90s uh, references. You know, listen, that's that. Maybe you should. You're gonna. Are you gonna? Is he gonna be the new WH Park? Is that what I'm trying to fucking get to? <laughs> is that what we're? Is that what we're gonna be? You ain't going anywhere. I got news for you. No, I'm not going anywhere, Damon. You are my one true uh, podcast co-host soulmate. Don't do worry I, about that. Do I booby access? Anytime. Ah, right. Even photos. You, you want a, a sneaky photo for? Bit of the old Joel boob, you just <laughs> say the words, and I'll really? send it over to you. I just, I see. Here's the thing: I don't want to ask for it. I just want them to just randomly come. You know, make my okay. day, make make me smile. <laughs> That's I'll, I'll hold you to that. I'm, you I'm, know that what's going to come now, I but you least expect it. I want. That's what. I, that's what I want. That's that. Those are my rules. I don't mind uh, getting a random pick. Don't get me wrong. I I, I think it's funny. Um, uh, but yeah, don't, I don't. I don't. I know. I'm not asking. I just you know. If it comes, I acknowledge and move on. Good job. All right, good. I'm, I'm excited now. Now I got something to look forward to. Yeah, so uh, if you want to hear me and John discussing a couple of classic New Japan matches, a bit of DDT, a bit of uh, WWF ladder matches, Lucha Underground, anime video games, then do, yeah, check out that episode, Wrestling Omakase. And all right, let's move into the big news then, which was a statement from Harold May talking about why. New Japan Pro Wrestling haven't conducted empty arena matches. And just the one thing that stood out to me, David, is that he is doing this with strips of paper. He's got like a printout card of what looked like a PowerPoint slide and he's ripping bits of paper that was stuck to the front of it. Like, could this man not get any technology? Could he not have it interspersed or split screen or something with the PowerPoint? Which, you know, a big company like New Japan, I guess the financial hit must have really done a number on them if they're not able to get uh, graphics in that. But uh, anyway, he talked about New Japan's decision not to do empty arena, basically to protect the health and safety of wrestlers and staff, uh, their ability to use venues, because some venues won't allow them to do empty arena stuff, and a little something called corporate social responsibility. Imagine that, David. A wrestling... Industry leader having corporate social responsibility. Wow. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? Not something that you guys are probably used to in uh, North America, but uh, there you go. So 
it also made the point that wrestlers have a chance to rest and heal, which is something that we discussed before and I think is really important because these wrestlers have quite a hectic schedule and for them to take a while to um, yeah, heal themselves, those long-term nagging injuries that you get with life on the road, I think is something that's understated. Um, a little silver lining from all the crap that's going on at the moment. Uh, also got a shout-out for the wrestling-themed boxing briefs, which are helping keep them in the black. <laughs> and uh, spoke about the future. He said, the first step will be empty arena only when the state of emergency restrictions have been lifted, the numbers of new coronavirus infections declines, and when matches can properly take place uh, in a adequately disinfected and safe setting. So they'll start with matches, empty arena matches in Japan and the LA Dojo. Next step after that will be to begin welcoming fans to attend, which would require rigorous health checks for staff, fans subject to thermographic temperature checks, masks compulsory, venues disinfected, ventilated, and spaces between seats. Now, he didn't set out a time frame for this, which I think is smart. You don't want to make any promises about this. But uh, what are your thoughts on this? Why do you think they came out with this statement now? And what do you think of the decision to agree to do empty arena matches? I'm glad that that there was at least something, and it it wasn't presented for, you know f- from the voice of a complete and utter madman, right? Uh, he Harold, we listen. This show is not afraid to take a lighthearted shot at the people in power at New Japan Pro Wrestling, whomever they may be. Uh, you know, from the top, very top to to whatever. Uh, that was a class act, I think. That was that was a picture-perfect response uh, to give not only the fans and not only the wrestlers, but also even, like, office staff and 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 people working within within the confines of New Japan Pro Wrestling, just an update, and it was a well delivered update. All right, it, it, I, listen, you you mentioned you know it would have been nice if you had a little technology behind them. I don't know. I kind of like the fact that it was a little. I don't know. I think it made it a little bit more genuine. I don't know why uh, that he had you know to rip off the <laughs> reveal the uh, the answers on his placard. Um. That was that uh, to me. That was a leader. That was a person who showed tremendous leadership. And I'll go so far as to say I think New Japan has shown tremendous leadership throughout this whole entire thing. Uh, I think some of the reasoning behind why now is they they do get a lot of questions about well why why can't why won't you guys run empty arena shows and why aren't we hearing from you and why you know why aren't there plans in the mix to to get this jump started and i think he addressed all the reasons why and all the reasons that sometimes you know some of the reasons we knew and some of the reasons we speculated but i think he put a nice bow on why we're not seeing them and they were all the right reasons first and foremost the health and safety of everyone involved uh two you know they want to come back and they'll do so responsibly uh three they have to work with the arenas they don't have the luxury of owning a property that would be able to support now again they have the la dojo but you know but what are you going to do there, right? 
Um, it's, it's in a fucking warehouse. It's not like it's the performance center. But, I, I mean, I imagine they have quite a few wrestlers who work for them who are in the States at the moment, so they could probably put on decent little show or yeah. matches, at least, with the people who are stranded over there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Jay White lives over here, um, in, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, there's one big name that that is, is a definite. Um, And if they need someone to do commentary... Me? Yeah. <laughs> Damon's free. Give him a call. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't. I, well, I can't say they would never ask, but you know, well, you know. Um, the I like the idea of wrestlers taking time off too. I do. Um, look, let's just say that there was an opportunity for for look. We there is no off season in pro wrestling. We know that. And guys have to work. Guys and girls have to work to make money. And that's we we understand that. And they work. And and that system breeds a world in which they work with injury all the time, every day. And to take off for three months is absurd to them. You know, that's just 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 can't do it. Not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Not only not getting paid, but again, that whole idea of if I if I'm not here for three months, people are going to forget about me. I'm going to lose my spot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's shut down. You can't work anywhere. I mean, let me take that back. You could, and then you know, okay. But even in, in some cases, you you don't have to. But then again, in one case, you wink, wink, don't have to. Uh, but you get my point. These, they have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to nowhere. To, no one's going to force their hand to make bad decisions. That's what I'm trying to say. They have to sit home and rest and recoup and exercise and train and clear their heads and step away from it from a little bit and again rest their weary bones. It's a good thing. There is a little tiny bit of silver lining in this pro wrestling thing being shut down. I mean, again, I know I, I'm saying this with companies hanging on by their fingernails uh, financially, but if there is a tiny, tiny little sliver, it's we're forcing people who would never take time off to heal to heal, and I think that is a great thing. To be honest with you, do you think that empty arena matches is a necessary step before they can allow fans in, or do you think they should have just gone straight to? have fans in because I know we've talked we're not keen on the empty arena matches so a lot of people are wondering why they think that is a necessary step between running no shows and then starting to allow fans in with restrictions I I think that there's gotta it's kind of like every other sporting world like they, they they're not gonna just jump right into the games right it's not like okay the season begins get on the pitch and start there is a little bit of a ramp up, whether that be open practices, whether that be training camp opening up for a week or two that they're talking about. So I think that's the that, that would be the pro wrestling equivalent, right? That first back bump is going to fucking hurt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that first, you know, big top rope suplex that someone's going to have to eat 
<laughs> they're gonna yeah, the first chop there's just blood everywhere <laughs> right, right. the whole layer of skin comes off your chest <laughs> right you see the you see a beating heart with a rib cage at that point um yeah i mean these i mean as much as we talk about these guys being excellent athletes and and top of their game there is something to say about taking three months off and not having your body go through that that trauma right we're, we're restarting that trauma again so and it's a little bit of okay let's regroup let's figure out what we're going to do from a storyline perspective how are we going to jumpstart this promotion uh who do we have available so again i don't i don't know if if just starting with okay shows blah 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 and that's going to be a while too right so i i understand that wish but also that's going to be a little bit before you get full arenas, you can start. I mean, they even said that when they do come back and allow fans in the arena, temperature checks, masks, where they're eliminating social areas. Uh, well, the, the temperature checks a bit redundant, though. Seeing what we know now about people being able to pass on, right? Symptomless people being able to pass it on, yeah. Asymptomatic people, then the temperature checks is a bit like paying lip service to it, but not really getting to the heart of the problem. I mean, I'm not suggesting that these companies should be like doing full COVID-19 checks for every single person that's entering, but it just it seems like a bit of a... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is a... What? Well, I mean, I can't think of any other way to... Nah, there at least, no other way to do Yeah, this, at though. least on the surface, give people a sense of, of comfort of, okay, at least this guy doesn't have a temperature. Right, um, I'll tell you what. If anybody walks into that arena and they have a temperature, they're gonna get they're gonna get beaten up. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, who's? I mean, imagine that. Imagine being that one person. You know that it gets a false positive, and everybody just stares at you like you son of a bitch. <laughs> get security. Get get the walkie-talkie. Farle, we've got another one. <laughs> right, right, right. You hear the fucking curb your enthusiasm music, right? As he stares into the distance, me. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, that would be fucked. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they got to keep, they got to do something to keep people. I don't know, just without having, I don't know. Just, I, I, it is a little bit of security theater, as they like to say. Um, this, might, this might be medical theater, but it is something. Um, and you know, they're gonna. It'll be half the arena empty, right? as as they say. They're gonna every other seat or something like that. So, for a guy like me, I'll t- I'll take up both seats. <laughs> That'd be comfortable for me. I'd like that. <laughs> Sign me up. Um, I don't know. It look. I think the empty arena thing is more for them than than us. But it is something to kind of wet our palate when it comes to it. I don't want to see a weekly empty arena, but a, a show or two be an empty arena. I don't. I don't think I have that much of a problem with it. Just, just to grease the wheels. It doesn't have to be a big show. It doesn't have to be every star. It could be no, like a, a row two kind of show. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And why not? Let's do it. And just for context. Apparently, the Japanese government has said if there's a week with no more than 70 new cases, they will lift the emergency declaration in Tokyo. Uh, we had Jojo Remy giving us a bit of information because he lives there. 
And he said that Chiba Prefecture, which is right next to Tokyo, had no new cases for the first time in 45 days. So it does look like things are getting a bit better. So there you go. That's the criteria they need to satisfy in order to have that emergency declaration lifted. So who knows? We might be getting the empty arena shows sooner than we might think, which would be nice. Yeah. I mean, give me give me a spot that you think into, do you think they do like uh first ring? That might be let's say it's a little bit of an open area. It's like a uh you know not super outdoors, but you know, it's there's a lot of ventilation in that building, let me tell you. Especially in winter, it's fucking freezing. The, the same place that they did the Suzuki Pirate Festival thing when they <laughs> the Okada match in the rain. Yeah, well, I mean, they could do it there too. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they have they have options. They could, they'll figure something out. Ganryujima. Yeah, yeah right. another island death match. <laughs> That's what we said. Didn't we say that from the jump? I mean, they should be. That should be. That should be right out of the gate. Island death match. Fucking make that happen. Have that be like the the, the empty arena equivalent. Wouldn't that be awesome? How, uh, having that be that, I I, th- I, I think I would people would, would. I would lose take that shit. definitely. Yeah, I mean, you could actually have real matches and 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 have a storyline based around it instead of fucking. All right, we're in an empty warehouse. Uh, yeah, th- that would you could do that. Have a whole show based around that, you know, Tana and, and Ibushi against uh, Dangerous Techers. Uh, Mox is in there against, uh, well, you know, who, I don't know he was, Zach was the last program, right? I don't know, we'll figure fucking something out, right? Make it, make the whole show center around that. That's the only thing I worry about is travel. Travel's going to be a bitch, right? Well, if the fans are the wrestlers. Wrestlers. Uh, could you be more specific? Are you thinking international uh, yes. or within yes. Japan? International, international. Because again, yeah. keep in mind we had, do have a lot of talent that went home. Home is not Japan. Um, but we have a US oh, I think that's. A, I don't think they'd be asking the wrestlers who are not in Japan to return yeah. because I don't know what the border situation is. But I know with a lot of countries that's not an option. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know it. <laughs> right. Yeah, it would be. It would be uh, for those people who really want that pure. New Japan Pro Wrestling experience. You 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 might very well get that. Um, there will be no no Western influence whatsoever on these first couple shows. But Island Deathmatch. Let's uh, let's let's tweet at New Japan Pro Wrestling. Huh? Why don't we use our Twitter influence and our listener influence and see if we can make that happen? Mm-hmm. That'd be great. I'll tell you if there are any uh, major. T- that magazine and media companies thinking of covering the original Gamry Jima deathmatch, there better be a shout out to us in there. Just, just say so. We did cheeky we, little shout out, cheeky little yeah. reference. <laughs> I, listen, I got your reference. I know what you're talking about. If there was something like that where there were, I don't know, maybe somebody might want to, uh, you know, talk a little bit more about that experience and that match and the lead up to that. Maybe there might be a media company that might be interested in something like that. Um, if they were, yeah, I think I think we we're we're personally responsible for bringing up bringing back the interest in that island death math. I'll just we'll just we'll just lay and that cinematic out. wrestling in general, which is all the rage these days. That yeah, was us. That's us. We did that. <laughs> we did this. <laughs> so you can blame us for that f- fucking money in the bank disaster, whatever that was. <laughs> did you watch that? 
<laughs> oh no, no, no I didn't hate no, myself that much yet. But no, I don't uh, okay. So also in the news, Wrestle Dynasty has been postponed to 2021, oh, which boy. you know we talked about Wrestle Dynasty and the trouble facing it ad nauseum. So not a great deal to say about that, but it just it makes sense that next year would be a better time and um, unlikely to be able to be executed safely this calendar year at least. Yeah, I was disappointed. I mean, we knew it was. We had we we kind of knew well in advance of the official announcement, and we sort of hint hint at it, and 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 just looking at it logically, it just wasn't good. It wasn't possible. And it just, then you get the barrage of of, of tweets. Oh, I'm disappointed, but it's the right thing to do. <laughs> I wish we know. Jerk off. We know. Um, but the good news is, is that uh, you know apparently they they are already talking about next year and it's going to happen. So rescheduled date. So look, we'll. Uh, I, I I wanted to see everybody. I wanted. I, I maybe I was silly in thinking this, but when this all first went down, I, I did have that Madison Square Garden show circled to my calendar to be like, okay, well, there's something, there's, you know, there's a, there's a pot of gold at the end of this uh, thunderstorm. And I was like, ah, fuck. Just to see it, just to see it official was like, fuck. Well, I guess I'll just take it off my calendar now. <laughs> um, but... Joel, what are you going to do? Right? No, no, no. Well, use. there might be more chance of me actually being able to come if it's next year. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's a good point. Depending too. on how the academic year plays out. That is a good point. That is a good point. Okay. That's maybe that's it. Okay. Um, but no pastrami sandwiches this year. No pastrami sandwiches this year. Speaking of behaving with class and being an industry leader, did you see. One Kazuchika Okada made a donation, personal contribution to relief efforts. He donated 5 million yen to the Nippon Foundation Special Coronavirus Relief Fund. What a guy. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's... that's Class. I, I, you know, he certainly didn't have to do that, and he did. If you have the, 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 the means to do something like that... Um, like I'm not one of those guys that's going to be like, oh, you should have done it, and not, you know. Let me tell you something. If I gave away five million dollars, I'd be, I'd have a fucking skywriter being like, Damon gave away five million dollars. <laughs> not going to be the anonymous donor. No, no. I want, I want a wing in my name. Uh, Christ, every fucking opportunity I had. Hey, yeah, we gave seven thousand dollars to the Takayama Fund. <laughs> I, I couldn't say that enough. That was, that was uh, um. So look, I, I hats off, hats off to him. Um, got some, got some, got some bank to be able to do that though, right? Got to have a little bit of wiggle room to be able to write that one off, huh? Making some, he's making some coin. Good for him. Yes, he's the rainmaker. <laughs> I mean, what do you expect? This is a man who can literally make it rain money. I know. Why, why hasn't he used these powers before? Uh, maybe he has. Maybe he has uh, anonymously donated, and you know, maybe. Uh, you know. I, <laughs> I hope when he made the donation that he went there in person, so you know, got in his car or whatever, and drove over to the Nippon Foundation's 
coronavirus relief fund charity headquarters mm. and extend in full wrestling gear and extended his arms and made Okada dollars <laughs> just like fly everywhere and then just walked out. <laughs> there you go, staff, pick that up. <laughs> yeah, staff scrambling with trash bags, putting in money, <laughs> running around. <laughs> There's one behind the VCR. Uh, yeah, that would that would have been great. And just walked out. <sighs> that's good. Look, that's heartwarming, right? We need. Uh, we all need a good, some good stories, right? Some smiles. Some. Uh, and there's another example of how pro wrestling has come through for each and every one of us. Good job there. All right. Well, let's start with our Super J Class Classic watch long. Um, we're beginning with the Summer Fight Series: Antonio Inoki versus Ricky Choshu. <laughs> August the second. Shut up. <laughs> Wait. Uh, August the second, nineteen eighty four, in the Kurame Kokugi Kan. So the back story for this, uh, we watched this match with our uh, friend of the show, Manabu. So again, shout out to him. He's the one who's given us all the great historical context. And so Choshu debuted in 74, didn't really become popular until 82. He had his excursion in Mexico and came back with a changed attitude as lots of Japanese wrestlers do and betrayed Tatsumi Fujinami in a six-man tag match and started using the lariat because... He often lost to Stan Hansen, who'd left the company in 83. So he changed the name from the Western Lariat to the Ricky Lariat. And he had a big match against Andre the Giant in 84. And he was the second man to slam Andre, which was very big at the time. And Choshu began to get very popular with the fans. We also had uh, Inoki versus Hogan as the second IWGP final. And Choshu interrupted the match. Inoki won by count-out, but lots of people were very upset by this. There was a bit of a riot going on at Sumo Hall. And... That brings us to this match, Inoki versus Choshu, which was the Tokyo Sports Match of the Year. The highest rated Antonio Inoki match on Cage Match. I'm going to let you go first with this, Damon. Um, I don't know I don't know what Cage Match is smoking. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. I don't know what, I don't know what they're doing. Because, not Cage Match themselves, but the people who voted. This match, what the fuck? Uh, let's talk about the building first. This crowd was ravenous, was aching for this match. And it felt like they were just sitting on the edge of their seats waiting for a big explosion, right? A, a match that they've been salivating and, and pining for was finally on their laps. Holy crap. And look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think in a match like this, uh, I'm pretty confident, and I don't know, and I've never talked to either of these two gentlemen, but I'll bet the house that it's Anoki that's laying out this match. This had Anoki blueprint written all over it. Joe, we made a comment. We were, what, at least 15 minutes, 20 minutes into this match? And it wasn't like I was. I looked at the scroll bar and we had another 45 minutes to go. These two motherfuckers didn't take one bump. Not a bump. This was on the ground, grabbing a hold forever. And when you wait for that, okay, here's, here's, here's where it picks up. Boy, it would pick up for like a millisecond and then back to the hold. 
I don't know what was, you're talking about with a no bar. A question from Elliot. What about the big clothesline spot, the big lariat? Oh. <laughs> Elliot wrote in to say, uh, did Anoki always duck away from taking big clotheslines like he did in this match? At times he looked like uh, a little like the guy on top who didn't want to look too vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Look, Anoki made his... See, that was part of the thing that I never really understood. Because it, it that match felt to me he was it, and was living proof of a guy who constantly lived in fear of his position. It felt like he was in the like so Anoki again and 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 the company as a whole. Pro wrestling number one, best fighting methodology. You know it's you know give me a mixed martial artist, I'll kick his ass. Give me a boxer, I'll fucking hand his ass to him. Give me a guy who fucking wrestles alligators, I'll beat him. Give me a uh, Taekwondo guy. I'll beat him. All right. And now he gets in the ring. He's in there with Ricky Choshu. And it felt to me like. And Ricky Choshu, I wouldn't be surprised, was a guy who was very influential and probably wanted to be a little bit of a bigger star than he already was. And how easy would it have been for him to kind of take, I don't know, not liberties with Anoki, but. To, you know, make sure he got his shit in. Make sure it looked good. Make sure that uh, you know he he might not be selling too much for Anoki. You know, just wanted to make it look you know that he was the quote unquote better man in a match like this. And Anoki, oh my god, like it, he it felt like he needed him to be on the ground. Like he like as as a safe spot to not have that shit go down. Like it looked like he was a man fearful of. Uh, if something goes wrong, I'm going to be exposed as a boob, speaking of boob, and this is all going to fucking unravel, right? Because Chosha was red hot. Yeah, that clothesline. I, 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 I mean, his he basically turned around to take that fucking clothesline, right? <laughs> like, like he took it on his back shoulder blade, didn't he? Yeah, he just sort of turned around took the impact of the lariat on his shoulders and then just kind of like fell to his knees. Right. I mean, did you get that vibe at all of Anoki intentionally sandbagging this match? Yes, to an extent, but I'm going to keep that in my locker to give you my full form thoughts on the match. Okay. Okay. I thought this match was a massive disappointment. Um, I... As I was watching it, I was like, do I ever remember watching this match? And I don't. I don't ever remember seeing this match. That doesn't mean I didn't watch it. I just don't remember seeing it. Because you, it, it is one of those matches where you're just like, that, that's it? And the fans, you could tell. The fans, are, the fans are hyped for this match. And by the three-quarter mark of this match, there's one girl who... I swear to you, she's in pink. She's like a, like a pink shirt. And you can see her right in the hard camera shot. Joel, I swear to God, I've never seen a more bored human being in my life. I, I think I think if I brought Cheryl there, she'd be more excited. Right? I I couldn't believe... Like, and, and, and again, the same person was hyped as they were doing ring announcements. Crowds sitting on their hands. Uh, waiting. Just waiting for something to happen. And then you get a little spurt, you get you know a little a little little high spot. A drop kick was you know massive, uh, 
and then they'd go right back to the fucking mat and kill it. I uh, t- again, I don't know shit all, but it felt like a uh, it felt like Anoki was sandbagging this one. Um, it really did. It really felt that way to me. I could be dead wrong, but <sighs> that this match could have been so much more, Joel. All right, let me give you my thoughts, and you tell me if you think I'm out to lunch on this. So, I agree with you. Like the match didn't excite me from a bell to bell wrestling perspective, but I did find it fascinating from a historical standpoint because when you think about it, the goalposts are moved in terms of what kind of spectacle these wrestlers are presenting, and, and I think it's really interesting to compare the the presentation and layout of a big match from 1984 to 2020 because we as modern audience expect uh, an escalating sense of tension and drama to you know mirror that of uh, an exciting piece of fiction maybe some ebbs and flows in the narrative but uh, essentially we're conditioned to matches that start off slow and work through the gears and lead to a breathless climax you know like a movie or, or a book like we expect a piece of well-told fiction but in the the 1980s audience they're not expecting fiction they think this is real and like this is the year the first uwf was started and as such the layout of the match more mirrors like that of a long mma match even though right this is obviously more than a decade before mma even began to take over in popularity i mean it's more like two decades really but it does closely mirror like a five-round title fight in MMA. And you don't have that easily traceable escalation in drama. It goes in random spurts. You get little peaks and troughs, like a flurry of action, then a come-down period where both fighters are recovering. So I think that when you recalibrate your expectations in this match and view it as a performance that's aiming to replicate authenticity to a largely uneducated crowd, like uneducated in the sense that the intricacies of martial arts hadn't yet uh, pervaded the consciousness of the pro wrestling viewer. So this is Antonio Noki's vision of what a pro wrestling portrayal of mixed martial arts could be before mixed martial arts even existed. So when you consider the match through that lens rather than that of a modern pro wrestling fan, I think you can get more out of it because it's not the most exciting match to watch. Large stretches of it are boring. You know, tests of strength, chin locks, grappling, jockeying for position... You do get little bursts of energy with like a slap exchange or a takedown or a suplex and the crowd absolutely lose their minds. And yeah, there is that edge of sloppiness and non-cooperation and sandbagging that I think lends it more an air of authenticity. Whereas in a modern match, you know from Jump Street that the two guys are cooperating. And I don't think that's the case here. If someone told me that this were a shoot fight, I might be fooled up to a point. So I think this match is an important cultural touch point if you're tracking the evolution of pro wrestling in japan rather than be an exciting match for a modern viewer and i'll also give it bonus points for the ground cobra twist finish which is always great okay fair enough um let me throw this by you though it's 1984 it's not like it's fucking george hackenschmidt grabbing an arm bar for three hours in comiskey park fucking 1984 I could go, I could go through two terabytes of of nineteen eighty four matches that blow that out of the fucking water. Where you Japanese matches? It. Sure. Okay. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm in the midst of watching all Japan as as an example, 
and it's this fucking seventies. Terry Funk is amazing, fucking amazing. Uh, and then you know, there's really none of that. Uh, I mean, eighty two, eighty three. You can go New Japan. And again, it's not like eighty four was this was this time where everything was you know shoot style. It's still pro wrestling. They, they they could find a way to make that still get that same feel and still get that same level of authenticity and do something <laughs> right and 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 have an actual pro wrestling match instead of lying down on the ground for what felt like ages it, it's still pro wrestling they, they, it could be done it has been done in that same calendar year. I don't know. Yes, I agree that that Anoki is is dare I say obsessed with making pro wrestling be this offshoot martial art and 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 making sure that it's legitimate. But I'm going to be truthful, that's not the match to do it in. Right? Ricky Choshu? What? Why why? You're taking away you're 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 taking away Ricky Choshu's strengths in this match. Like what makes Ricky Choshu great is the fact that he's going to kick your ass and the lariat and you know the the you know what the scorpion deathlock is what we'll, we'll call it. Um, that I mean those that's Ricky Choshu. Not I'm going to sit on the ground for fucking twenty minutes. I, I, look, I and, and and here's the thing too. It's not like the crowd was like into every fucking arm bar and every fucking leg lock and everything. You know, they were sitting on their fucking hands, Joel, for 20 minutes. And and when they did pop, it was you know that the the, the moments of oh my god here oh here we go here we go drop kick oh oh kick in the corner up oh, back to the fucking ground. I don't know. 1984 pro wrestling wasn't this barbaric. You know, again, three-hour Broadway where, you know, they're sitting there in a fucking headlock for 20, you know, half of it. It's pro wrestling in 1984. It's not that they could have done, I don't know, it could have been much better. Okay, so let me revise my statement and then say it's more of a enlightening look at Inoki's vision of pro wrestling rather than pro wrestling in the 1980s in, in Japan as a whole which I think would be a fair statement. Um, but yeah. let me ask you this question, which is something Manabu brought up, which I think is really interesting. And he says, do we really need to think about booking or kayfabe stuff to enjoy matches? It's like forbidden fruit. Once we eat it, we can't enjoy some of the matches at all. Sometimes spoils the matches completely. Look at the crowd in this match, the 80s crowd. They are so pure. So what do you say to that? Do you think we are compromising our enjoyment of pro wrestling by pulling back the curtain too much and worrying about the behind the scenes aspects of it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen. I don't go. I go when I go to to, to watch wrestling. I when and the, the bis, biggest excitement I get is, you know, big moves and big spots and big you know things. Um, and yeah, you 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 don't have that innocence of cheering the good guys and rooting for the people that you like or um, all of that. 
of course, yeah. I mean, yes, there is an absolute level, but there is also a, a maybe a deeper understanding and a I don't know, maybe a, even a deeper appreciation um, for 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 what I'm looking at and what I'm seeing, right? I, and I think. I, I don't think I, I don't know if I would trade. I don't know like like I don't know if I would take the blue pill or is the red pill. I don't know which pill I'm taking, but you know what I mean. To to go back and forget it all, and I don't know the truth. Um, I don't know if I would do that. To just be to have it be everyone in the dark about pro wrestling. I, I don't know if I would do that. It's kind of like I don't know. It's kind of like my enjoyment of other sports. Um, you know, on a, on a pitch or on the ice, it might look like organized chaos, right? But you know, when you understand tactics and you understand um, how plays develop and why certain things are are important and leads to more goals and leads to more wins, I guess you get a deeper appreciation of that. Like analytics in sports is, has become a, a, a very major talking point. Um, and whether that's really an accurate representation, those numbers that say, okay, puck possession is an important stat or carry-ins into, into a defensive zone is an important thing or ball possession or, you know, those type of things. Do they equate to goals and do they equate to wins? Like, I like that. So I can geek out on that kind of shit. And I kind of feel like pro wrestling the same way. If I, if I feel something along those lines, um, I don't know. I get a little bit of a deeper appreciation and understanding as opposed to cheer the good guys and and, and boo the bad guys and um, then go home. I don't know. But, 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 but I will say this. In that same breath, there is something magic. And, and I get it because the one thing that I always remember being a kid like being a, a small kid is like getting my first album. My first album was Kiss Alive 2. Um, and looking at the album cover and just listening to the music on my record player and just looking at, you know, you didn't know who the fuck Paul Stanley was or Ace Freely, but you saw these fucking guys in makeup and costumes and the stage with the lights and like your mind wanders and just dreams of what is that like? Like you didn't, you, I couldn't go to YouTube and be like, "Oh, let me check out a Kiss concert and see what it's about." No, oh, let me download, let me get on Spotify and listen to every fucking song that they ever create. No, I, it, so there is that sense of discovery and imagination, and what are what is like, what does Gene Simmons fucking do? Does he go to a restaurant like that? How does he, you know, all that that goes involved with pro wrestling, right? Um, that you do lose. So uh, maybe I'm talking myself out of it. Um, I don't know. I, I think I'm 60-40. I'll keep it the way it is. I think if the story and the match is good enough, then I will... That, that suspension of disbelief will be there and I will be able to enjoy it for what it is as like a pure fan. Like, for example, you sat next to me in the Tokyo Dome on January 5th as we were watching Okada Naito and the, the culmination of this two-year, well, longer than that, but for, for me, being in attendance, two-year story, since I sat there at Wrestle Kingdom 12 and seeing it again Wrestle Kingdom 14, and I was completely absorbed in the story. I wasn't thinking about booking decisions or match layout or anything like that. I was just sitting there thinking, I want Naito to win and, you know, losing my mind when he's climbing up to the top rope. So even though we have gone down that rabbit hole of... Uh, discussing and dissecting this business in excruciating de detail, I think if it's good enough, then 
we do lose ourselves in the product like that, which I think is a, a wonderful thing. I agree with that 100%. Good pro wrestling, you can lose that, or at least turn that off for a little bit. Um, yes, I 100% agree with that, yes. Let's move on to the next match, which is the Best of the Super Juniors 4 final. El Samurai versus Koji Kanemoto from June the 5th, 1997 in Nippon Budokan. So, Best of the Super Juniors was first called Top of the Super Juniors in 1988. In 89 and 90, it wasn't held. In 91, it was the uh, second Top of the Juniors because of Liger. And then in 1994, it was renamed Best of the Super Juniors. So, Looking at this year, 1997, Pride 1 was held in October. There was a big uh, Nobuhiko Takada versus Hicks and Gracie match in the Tokyo Dome. Huge moment for Japanese combat sports. And this, I guess, is the moment where pro started to lose popularity uh, in favour of mixed martial arts. Now, if we actually look at this match within the context of the show, it's quite an interesting one because it's a really stacked card. I'm going to open it up. Uh, so we've got uh, opening match, Kendo Kashin against Kazuki Fujita. We've got um, an eight-man tag as a third match. Jericho, Dr. Wagner Jr., Gran Naniwa, and Jushin Thunder Liger defeating Hanzo Nakajima, Shinjiro Otani, Tatsuhiko Takaiwa, Yoshihiro Tajiri. Singles match, Tiger King against Kuniaki Kobayashi. Uh, we have uh, this Best of the Super Juniors final is actually third from the top. Uh, so after this Best of the Super Juniors final, there were two more matches. There was the IWGP tag team title match between the bull powers of Manabu Nakanishi and Satoshi Kojima against NWO Japan. That's Masahiro Chono and NWO Sting. And then the main event with an IWGP heavyweight title match with Shinya Hashimoto and Keiji Muto. So it was like they, the, the Best of the Super Juniors hadn't built up enough cachet with the fans where it could main event a big show like this. The fact that it's third from the top and they put these other attractions above it speaks to you about you know where the, the division and the tournament and these wrestlers were placed at the time. So if we look at the blocks for this Best of the Super Juniors, block A, we've got Kanemoto, Liger, Takaiwa, Grand Naniwa, Dr. Wagner Jr., Doc Dean and Chavo Guerrero Jr. And then B block, we got El Samurai, Shinjiro Otani, Chris Jericho, Hanzo Nakajima, Yoshihiro Tajiri, Scorpio Jr. and Robbie Brookside from uh, famously the uh, British wrestler there. So we've got a, a nice mix here. We've got a few wrestlers from Big Japan, Michinoku Pro, we've got some from Mexico. Like There's a real international flavour here to this tournament. And in this match itself, it's pretty cool seeing them all at ringside. Like the camera pans over and you're like, hey, there's Chris Jericho. Oh, there's Chavo Guerrero. So, Kanemoto is the third Tiger Mask after Sayama and Misawa. And the El Samurai is a guy who was, by all accounts, viewed as solid worker. Maybe not so popular, like the second or the third guy. Liger was obviously the top, top dog in the division at the time. I think he was holding the eight belts at the time, because a while ago we discussed Ultimo Dragon against Great Sasuke. And then Liger beat Ultimo after that for the eight belts. So talk to us a bit about this match, like what your memories were of it at the time and your thoughts on the two wrestlers involved, about El Samurai and Koji Kanemoto, please. I always loved both. And I, and I will always say that there is like a period of time where you had that entire mix of people. Um, and maybe even you would throw in like a Benoit or a Dimalenko or... Um, you know somebody uh, along those lines, and those junior tag matches were always really fucking great. 
always look forward to them. And it kind of started in that, era, uh, you know, 97, I guess, we're, we're in right now. Um, all, all in that general. You might go back a year or two, go up a year or two. All those junior tag matches are something that are really... I always enjoyed them. Um, I loved El Samurai because El Samurai had a little bit of a, of a, a dinginess to him, maybe. Um, or it was just something that, that appealed to me. I don't know if it was his lankiness. Almost like a, I don't want to say a Jake Roberts type body, but um, he like he just had a, a weird junior look, if that makes any sense. Uh, and I don't know of a guy who has his mask ripped off more than El Samurai. I, I think every single big match of his winds up with him wearing half a fucking mask and his face exposed. And I always wonder, just just take off the fucking mask at this point. Everybody, it's gotten ridiculous with you, with that fucking mask hanging off your head after every big match. Uh, this one felt a little weird, this time period, because to me, I, I don't, not to say that El Samurai wasn't a a good choice to win this. I, I Kanemoto was was was. I don't know. Felt like he would. He was. He was. He would be a guy I would point to, to kind of win that year. It kind of felt like a, like a tweener year. Like they were trying to develop new junior stars, yet at the same time they still had all these guys that could still go, mind you, but were maybe a little bit too high in the mix. I don't know. I thought El Samurai was a weird choice to 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 win this. I don't know. Um, I thought the match was good. I didn't think the match was great. I thought the last... Probably the last five, right, was really good. Um, the way that El Samurai put him away, though. Like, this dude hit, like, four finishers in a row. And I, I promise you, when he hit that fourth one, it was you know he hit that shit from the top rope, that you know kind of reverse DDT thing, neckbreaker thing. Uh, and then he hits this face plant. I'm thinking to myself, if this motherfucker kicks out after these four moves, I, this is this is the the absolute mark of where pro wrestling hit the downward spiral of kicking out of big moves. But luckily, he didn't. Got the fucking pin. Um, I would say this match is a good match. I wouldn't say it's a great match. But I will say that it's worth watching for the the very the, the closing stretch because I thought that was really good. Um, and I will say this: those fucking kicks are are great from catch. Uh, or, uh, yeah, it was it, it was <laughs> it was kicks, kicks, kicks to the face. Like El Samurai is fucking pegging him in the face with some of these kicks in the early in the early moments that. Uh, I think it was a, one of them was a, was a sliding drop kick, was it? You know, he has him draped in the corner, upside down, and El Samurai just tees off right in the mush, and it felt like, oh, okay, that, that's that's the end of that. Looked like that hurt, and then continual kicks to the face after that. I was like, ease up on him for Christ's sake. Uh, good match, not great. Um, I, I would say if you haven't watched it, watch it. I don't think I don't think you're going to lose anything in that, but uh, I don't think it goes in my top three junior matches. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I was not very interested in it in the first half, and the crowd were pretty quiet as well. And yeah, to, to your point, Manabu said that Kanemoto is kind of like a small Akira Maeda, like you know the dangerous guy with his range of submissions and suplexes. And, and I was thinking early on that El Samurai is a guy who doesn't emote as well as other masked wrestlers do. You know, if you look at guys like Liger or, or even a modern day wrestler like El Desperado, but he does present a really escalating sense of anger and frustration in this match, which I thought comes across really well. Um, and I mean, of course, he was a very good tag partner for Liger in the day and I also learned that Taguchi was trained by El Samurai big influence there so like, like you say he gets the early advantage in this match like he's able to out grapple Kanemoto and the you know, crowd pretty lukewarm until they start exchanging slaps it's about five minutes in things get a bit spicier Kanemoto starts to show his nastier side he's going after Samurai's left leg and then you, it gets more interesting there's a bit of shit talking going on Samurai getting pissed off spending half the match like you said just kicking Kanemoto in the head and I thought it built up quite nicely then to some of the more dangerous spots like the brain buster to the outside, the tope, and sort of ebbed and flowed smoothly between their respective styles that I thought complemented each other really nicely. Like you've got the, the crowd pleasing, that sort of more high flying style of samurai, and then like the heelish brutality of Kanemoto. And so like he's forcing El Samurai to bring that striking game to the table. And the big turning point in the match when he just knocks Kanemoto right off his feet with a big forearm got a huge reaction from the crowd and and yeah then things really started to get interesting uh lots of drama every time Kanemoto was snatching leg locks out of nowhere I found that really interesting and Samurai getting more and more fired up that was a nice layer to the match and yeah like you I thought the final third was really exciting some nice little flurries from both guys like Kanemoto busting out his rolling senton and ripping Samurai's mask off and the, the poison rana from the top rope was really spectacular just Samurai was spiked right on his head and then it begins to resemble more of like a sort of modern day, almost like a, an American indie match rather than mm-hmm. like a, a Japanese pro wrestling match. So, yeah, definitely one that's worth watching. I wouldn't put it in my top five best of the Super Juniors finals or anything, but uh, definitely it's... I don't think it outstayed its welcome. It wasn't particularly long. I think the whole thing from entrances to the end is about 25 minutes, so it's not exactly a, a big sacrifice of your time. So I would recommend watching this one too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like this better than Anoki Chosho? Yes, it definitely was more to my taste as a modern wrestling fan. More exciting, for sure. Yep, I would agree. All right. So, 10 years then on in the future, we're still looking at best of the Super Juice final. This time it's 2007 with Milano Collection 80 versus Wataru Inoue from June the 17th, 2007. So, in this best of the Super Juniors block A, we had Inoue. Uh, Milano Collection AT in the same block Tiger Mask 4 Jushin Thunder Liger Taichi Yujiro and Prince Devitt who withdrew due to injury I think and then B block we've got Taguchi Minoru Koji Kanemoto again uh, Gedo BB Hulk um, El Samurai and Tetsuya Naito so this was back when they had the semi-final so we have one semi-final of Inoue against Minoru and then Taguchi versus Milano Collection AT which brought us to the final of Inoue against Milano Collection AT so Milano is a guy who debuted in Toriumon, which was Ultimo Dragon's promotion. And the big difference there being that if you pay to join, then you can join, you can wrestle, unlike the path to entry for promotions like New Japan or All Japan, where you've got to go through the trials. So you had a lot of smaller wrestlers making their debuts after Toriumon. And he actually trained in Animal Hamaguchi's gym in 96, which, as we know, is a very famous gym. Guys like Naito, Shingo, Kojima... 
uh, all trained there. So 1998, he joined FMW, didn't debut. Uh, Toru Mon was regrouping their fourth generation, so Milano went back. Ended up going to Mexico, training in lots of uh, Mexican submissions, that Javé style, and then debuted in Toru Mon in 2000 with this gimmick, this Milano Collection 80, like a, a Italian fashion supermodel guy. He's got the fake Prada logo on his trunks. He's wearing fancy coats and walking to the ring with an invisible dog named Mikeru. Left after a few years, bounced around a few different promotions, including a lot of American companies, likes of ROH, NWA, Anarchy, Chikara, TNA, and then joined New Japan in 2006, uh, which brought him to this point here. And in 2009, Milano started having eye problems after taking an excessively strong thrust kick by Gedo and tried to fix the problem, had surgery, but was diagnosed with inferior oblique palsy. So... In January 2010, he announced his retirement from professional wrestling. He had a final ceremony taking place on February 14th. So I thought it was interesting to look at this match as a a snapshot of Milano Collection 80 when he was at his peak because he's a guy that we see on commentary and newer viewers like myself would see this guy and not really appreciate his talents as a wrestler. And I think this match is a fascinating one to go back and watch because... This is a guy who debuted the same year as guys like Shibata and, and Tanahashi. And, um, so, first of all, what uh, are your thoughts and your memories about Milano Collection 18? I gotta be honest with you. Not a ton. Like, he was not one of my favorites. Um, in fact... I probably remember more times fast-forwarding than than anything else. Um, not not much. I I mean I, I if I watched five complete Milano Collection AT matches in my entire life, I've, I've watched seven thousand. Um, he just wasn't a guy that connected with me, and and I mean the gimmick I didn't. I, mean, I, I hand waved the gimmick. But just in general, like I just didn't have any. I don't know. It's just a, not a guy that 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 connected with me. And I don't think it's anything to do with. Like I thought he was. Well, I think I'm even stretch it. I don't think he was great. I don't think he was. I wouldn't put him in the the top. Like I feel like I'm doing a fucking burial of Milano Collection AT, but um, I, he's not. He's not in my. He's. I would put him in like a, a good area, um. And I don't know if if I can name a great Milano Collection AT match. I I don't I don't think I can. I don't. I, and I wouldn't put this match as great. Would you? I thought it was very good. It was a really fun match to watch. I wouldn't say great, no. Yeah. Like, I'm really trying to rack my brain. Maybe our listeners can help us with this. Name me a great Milano Collection AT match. Because right now I'm having difficulty doing it. Um, so that, that, I mean, legit, that's, that's, that's my recollection of Milano Collection AT. And I hate that. Like I, I, I wish I, I had more to, to bring to the table, but he really wasn't a guy that I was. I don't, I can't even say remotely interested in. He just wasn't a guy that was on on my radar, um, back in the day, and it did nothing to, to connect with me. 
I hate to say it. I, I hate to give. I hate for that to be my answer, but that's my answer. That's my honest answer. And how about Inoue? This guy made his debut in New Japan in 1999. He was with Sekigun at first, and then joined Liger's Control Terrorism Unit in yes. the second half of 2005. Became known for his physical toughness after surviving a brutal brainbuster from Devitt in a match with uh, Taguchi and Minoru as their partners, and had some. Hurt, didn't I, he? Yeah. Yeah, he, he bled. He, he was bleeding from his eyebrow, but he still got the submission victory for himself. And uh, his mentor, Kanemoto. So, a uh, little link to the previous match there. Um, guy who, I don't know if it's fair to say, he, given the underachieving loser moniker from others, um, had his excursion in Mexico, came back, had his sights set on Taguchi, had some junior heavyweight title matches with some upgraded moves. Captured his first junior title against Taguchi and then vacated it after he graduated to the heavyweight division. Uh, it was one day after winning the best of the Super Juniors t- tournament. But then after he moved to heavyweight, he struggled in the division, didn't find much success. Uh, joined the Blue Justice Army and had some tag team success. He uh, won the IWGP Tag Team Championship with Yuji Nagata. And they lost it back to bad intentions at Dominion of that year. And then left for Puerto Rico. When, uh, oh, no, so I'm talking. I'm looking at Captain New Japan here, Hirasawa. <laughs> I'm just going through the Wikipedia here because I don't really know much about Inoue at all. And Right, and, and here's the thing. like That's not shocking to me because like it's, it felt like he fell off the face of the earth when it came to New Japan, right? And I know he bounced around some other promotions, if I'm not mistaken. And I want to say he got hurt. He had a retirement ceremony. Yes, um, yeah, he had a neck injury in yeah. March 2013, and then he announced his retirement. He's a guy who has a backstage role now. Uh, apparently, he's an in-between guy for the office and the locker room. Like, sits outside the locker room during shows. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Um, I feel sorry for the dude in the sense that he he just missed the bubble. But truth be told, I don't know where he would be – like if he were capable of, of, of wrestling right now. I mean he obviously would be in what we affectionately call the, the dads, right? Um, but he he would be a guy that we would be talking about in a kind of, kind of a way that we would talk about – let's put it this way. He wouldn't be in the Yuji Nagata dad – Status, he'd probably be in the Tenzan. Nakanishi. Well, I mean, you, you say that, but Tenzan <laughs> is a guy who's got quite a lot of accolades in his. Career. Well, right. Well, I'm I'm saying like like current. You know what I mean? Like yeah, like a like Honma he, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that might be a good. That might be a good. Yeah, if we, if we're going to do a a, a a a cross comparison, that might might be might, that might be a good one. Um, in uh, only in the sense of like achieving status in in New Japan, um, I do remember his time in CTU. Um, but it wasn't like he was like a huge player there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like I I'm really not coming to the table with the hot takes here for the, either of these two guys, and I apologize for that. But that's really in a nutshell how we feel about both those guys. They're just they're they're. Two guys, um, 
I don't know. Maybe I need to do a little bit more homework on on both of them. But my recollections, I didn't like Milana Collection AT. So right out of the gate, I was like, I just, I don't know, just not. And I, and again, this match is okay. I don't think it's great. I don't. I think it's good. And I say that with a squinty eye. You know, kind of, huh? I don't know. Like, I'm more curious as to, as to what you think of this. Only because that, what are we looking at? 2012 Seven. at this match? Seven. Six? Seven? Okay. Christ. It's a weird time for New Japan. What, what, give me your thoughts on the match itself. Well, I want to talk about Milano first. I like okay. the gimmick. Um, really? You know, maybe, I, I think this is, it's kind of like Taichi, isn't it? It's a bit camp, it's a bit cheesy, but, you know, I was a guy who was like a big Rick Martel fan back in the day, and it's not dissimilar to that, isn't it? You know, Tyler Breeze has stolen this gimmick, so um, there's that element to it. I like that, and, and I also think from an in-ring perspective, he's a guy who helped to educate the audience on that Jave submission style where prior to this people hear Mexican wrestling they think of high flying it might not surprise you to hear that Zack Sabre Jr. was a big Milano fan bought uh, spent a lot of money on Japanese VHS tapes to watch Milano collection AT matches so you know looking at today we're like the paradise lot we see this as this like goofy comedy spot but I like the way that Milano built his moveset out of that theme, you know, saying that he can use 7,000 submissions, you know, a bit like Chris Jericho in WCW. And and I thought, like, looking at this match, it worked within the context of his style in a way that I don't think it does for Sonata. And, yeah, it's a bit... It, I, it, it's fun. I don't think it's a, a huge main event gimmick that was going to lead the guy to IWGP heavyweight titles, but it was a fun watch. And, you know, that's the the key word here you know even the move names i like it you know emporio armani shoe armani shoe exchange italian revolution victorian milanese I, it was an enjoyable match to watch and he's a fun wrestler to watch quite unique from you know the gimmick to his in-ring work i thought he was he delivered well in the big spot here so my take on him watching him you know 13 years later is a i think a talented wrestler but during the dark era so perhaps didn't get the praise and exposure that he might have got if he were wrestling with this sort of gimmick today. Do you think, can you understand why he would do nothing for me? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, you know, as with Taichi, it took him a while to win you over. And that was based on the strength of his wrestling rather than the gimmick. Whereas I like a, you know, camper, cheesier gimmick than you do traditionally. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, where would you put this match on the list of the matches that we watched this week on the Rewind? Where would you rank this? It's definitely better than Inoki Choshu. I enjoyed it more than that. Yeah. It's It's probably on par with the Samurai Kanemoto match. Maybe slightly behind it because I thought the Kanemoto Samurai match was better in the closing stretch. Right. But this one ha- uh, was more consistently entertaining for me. Okay. Right. I was more disappointed with Anoki Choshu with what it could be. I didn't have a lot of expectations in this match. Um, and I thought that they were 
averagely met. Let's put it that way. Um, right. The, look, again, I, I, I wholeheartedly admit that I probably went into it with a little bit more of a, oh, it's a Milano collection 18 match. I was never a big fan. Um, it was okay. It was okay. I don't, and again, I don't want this to be burial of Milano collection 18. He just wasn't for me. Um, it, it, he might connect with with somebody else who enjoys a different style uh, or a different presentation. It, it just wasn't for me. Let's move on to our fourth match then, which was the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, Kazuchika Okada versus Naomichi Marafuji, 10th of October 2016 at Tokyo Ryogoku Kokugi-kan. So, to set the table for this one, in the 2016 G1, we had some entrants from Pro Wrestling Noah. We had Katsuko Nakajima and Marafuji. Both of them getting a respectable 10 points, only two points off the top. So, Marafuji beat Makabe, Sanada, Tenzan, Tamatonga, and Okada on night one, and lost to Tanahashi, Ishii, Goto, and Fale. So, this was Okada's first defense of his record breaking reign. And the next defense after this one was the famous Kenny Omega match at Wrestle Kingdom 11. So, we got the little story here with the. Noah Pride, you know, this sort of cross-promotional battle. And I thought it was an interesting twist on the King of Pro Wrestling title defense, which can be a bit of a dead spot sometimes. And I watched this in English in New Japan World, and I thought the English commentary was really good because Steve Carino knows his stuff, really good given the lowdown about Marafuji and his accolades, uh, the stuff that I didn't know, like at the time he was a GHC tag championship with no other than Toriano. Um, question for you about Marafuji before I continue. Do you consider him a heavyweight? I, I do, um, and I know that it, it does kind of go back and forth, <laughs> right? Uh, I do. I, I consider him a heavyweight. All right, so that was something that was played up in the commentary, that maybe he's a guy who's had a lot of success in the junior division and you know how he would stack up in a heavyweight match against a, a, a bigger wrestler like Okada. And I thought the match was really good. There were just little moments I enjoyed, like uh, a lot was built around the chops, even when Marafuji's winding up for a chop, you can hear Ghetto at ringside going, no, 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 uh, which Steve Carino put over really well. And that was a big part of the match. It helped Marafuji take control. But then Okada's size and strength starts to swing the match in his favor until there's that big pile driver spot on the apron, which put him on the back foot. So here we get fiery underdog babyface champ Okada digging deep to keep hold of his title. But um, that, I think, is a dynamic which doesn't work anymore for Okada because of how dominant he's been. And it worked in this reign when he's wrestling against the likes of Marafuji and Suzuki and Fale, Shibata, people like that. But from that point on, it's diminishing returns because he keeps winning and looks so dominant that I don't think he works anymore as an underdog babyface wrestler. But uh, I thought it was a really good match. I particularly like when he reversed the Emerald Flosion and there's a huge chunk of the crowd turned on him and starts booing. Right. And um, yeah, my main takeaway from this is it's one of the last times I can remember that we get this kind of interpromotional dream match and whether we could get something like that in the future. So uh, what were your thoughts on it? Fantastic. Right. What a, what a, what a great match. I also uh, listened to the English commentating, Kevin Kelly and Steve Carino. Steve Carino is one of my favorite people in all pro wrestling. Um, when we were doing a ton of stuff for uh, Dennis Carluso's promotion, and even all over the East Coast, we we worked with Steve Carino so many times. I mean, if you go on cage match, you'll fucking see. We fucking worked with Steve Carino a zillion times. And he'd be at, you know, even if we didn't work with him, um, he'd be on the same shows we were. So he's always fun. We always goofed around with him. 
Uh, he was best man at Mike Keener's wedding, ECWF. Remember that? Um, so he's a fun dude. I, I saw, and when I heard his voice, I was like, ah, oh, I remember him and Kevin Kelly. And I re- actually remember talking about this match on PureCast. Uh, it's uh, like for me, this match, especially now in these trying times, is a real nice remembrance of what we're longing for. What a great match. Fucking Marafuji. People talk about his chops all the time. Those 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 fucking cannons that he throws. That just a, a whip, should I say? And he just has that fucking snap to it. That oh, just turns a chest into minced meat. Also, those kicks are spot on. Like, there's not a kick that he throws that doesn't look like he's taken out five fucking teeth. And the um, knees as well. The knees are spectacular. Oh, aren't they? Just, and and I got to be honest, fucking Kevin Kelly was on point the closing stretch. I, I, he, he helped sell that match. And all the Noah guys that were at ringside, given that, that sense of hope of, holy shit. I mean, the idea at that time, and we all knew that there was that, that, working relationship that New Japan had with Noah, which was pretty good. That G1 was pretty awesome. I remember an Elgin uh, Nakajima match. Holy fuck, that was great. G1 match. Um, That was an exciting period for New Japan, I thought. I thought that was really good, and and we wanted more of that. Um, And the thought that here's Okada, here's Marafuji, beats Okada, Gets a pinfall. Here's his shot at the, at the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And the idea of him winning and going to the Dome. And Noah, right? you know what I mean? Noah headlining the Dome. Was such a fun fucking thing for what, just like you said, you know, can easily be a throwaway main event spot. You know, we'll call it the evil position. Where, okay, it's a defense, it's a guy who has credibility, but, you know, he's not going to fucking win. There were moments where you were like, oh, imagine if this fucking, if he pulled this off. And I think Kevin Kelly did a great job pulling, you know, us along for the ride. And then, of course, you got, you know, the little Kenny Omega thing. Welcome welcome back, Kenny. Uh, he hits the ring after the match, and he does his little promo to help set up the dome. But what a wonderful match. Right? What a just a fucking two pros. Obviously, this was my favorite match of the rewatch. Um, it just brought back great memories, right? It brought back why we miss this fucking promotion so much, why we ache for it to return. It felt good. It, it like at the same time, it felt great, but it also felt like, oh, I can't. Wait for you to come back. I can't wait to see you again, uh, because that's that that match was magic, and I thought I need more of that. <laughs> I need more of that now. Yeah, definitely. Um, and this was from right before I started watching New Japan, so it's a nice little precursor to where I jumped in at Wrestle Kingdom Eleven and seeing the table set for 
what by all accounts is a, a game-changing show for New Japan Pro Wrestling. So a great one to go back and watch. Uh, tremendous fun. Um, all right. Yep. Well, let's go on to some questions then. Let me yeah. jump on the Discord and see what we've got. Which I should have done before, but there you go. Ah, why not? Come on. <laughs> uh, Come on. No questions. All right, says, let's wrap it up. <laughs> Jacob says, what best of Super Juniors final is your favorite? Super Juniors final? Yeah. Probably Benoit. I really loved um, Hiromu against Taiji Ishimori. 2018. I thought that was, that was tremendous. Great. That was great. Which um, Ospreys? Is it Osprey Shingo? Yeah, that was last year. That was brilliant too. That was fucking unbelievable. I think for the nostalgia getting scratched, Benoit's win for really fucking greatness. Osprey and, and and Shinko was so good. I might I might have to watch that that again this weekend. That match fucking rolled. Yeah, probably go that route. I mean, there's others. Kushida had a couple. Kushida and uh, who did Ricochet beat in the finals? Was it was it Will? Might have been. I forget. What year was that? It had to be like fifteen or sixteen, maybe seventeen. Maybe 18. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, uh, I remember that being a, a, a good match. Kushida had a few. Yeah, but off the top of my head, those are the ones that will stick with me forever. Benoit's win and, um, and Will and, and Shingo were fucking awesome. Kushida, he beat Kushida. Ricochet beat Kushida. And that was in, uh, I remember that being really good. 2014. 14. Okay. Mm. I remember that being really good. Yeah, 2015 was Kyle O'Reilly Kushida, which we talked about the other week. That was great. Yep. 2016 yep. was Osprey beating Taguchi. 2017, Kushida beating Osprey. Yeah. I mean, are you going to turn any of them down? Know, even that Taguchi it's match. So good. All of them yeah. are just e- terrific. Yeah, even that Taguchi match is fucking. That was one of those times where you're like, oh, okay, there's great Taguchi. I remember us praising that fucking match and almost being blown away because you didn't see it all year. He had a really good tournament, but just fucking turned it on that match. That might be a rewatch match, actually. Like That was really a really good match. That might be my favorite Taguchi match. Um, <laughs> Mike Fager will be fucking thrilled we're doing a Taguchi match. Um, yeah. Um, it was it was good. That was really good. QQAAXX says, "Did you guys know that Brendan Vink versus Lance Archer happened in Melbourne for NJPW? Interesting to see where everything's landed." So, no, I did not know that. So we got one guy who uh, is now beating <laughs> Ricochet in WWE, and another guy who's tearing it up in AEW. So both of them were wrestling in Melbourne for New Japan. So interesting little factoid there. Yeah. Do you know AEW's got Mike Tyson? Yes. Uh, what year is it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, he's got that movie coming out, right? He's got that movie coming out. I'll tell you what. They they showed. Uh, I, I don't know where I fucking saw it, but they showed a, a video of Tyson training. He's got to be like in his fifties, right? Holy fuck, he looked 
unbelievable. He's throwing fucking punch combinations. Whew. Let me ask you a question. How much would it take for you to get in the ring? One minute, 60 seconds. No protection. You got no like rib pad protection. No, no mask on, you know, no boxing thing. 60 seconds. You can't leave the ring. You can't like just like you know, play Larry Zabisco, get the fuck out. 60 seconds. How much would it take for Joel Abraham to get in the ring? Can I just like literally run away? No. And avoid it. Well, you could run. Like you could try and run. That that would be your best strategy, to be quite honest with you. But you can't leave the ring. Like you can't hop out of the ring and go, you know, just you know, you gotta stay in the ring. But you can run. Yes. But he would seconds. definitely be able to you know cut the ring off and oh, yeah, corner yeah, yeah. me and just absolutely kill me. Like yeah. <laughs> if he punched me once, I literally think I might die. So <laughs> I, uh, I probably no amount of money. I don't, I don't think I could no, survive. I don't think I could physically dollars. survive one minute with Tyson. But think of your child. You're leaving a big pile of money for your child. How about this? <laughs> a horrible dark thought. In these <laughs> uncertain on. times, you're putting uh, these evil scenarios into the world, Damon. I'm certain. You? I'm pretty certain. I mean, this is certain. Um, how about that? Would you do it for cash? Briefcase opened up. $50,000. Because no, the hospital bills would probably exceed that. <laughs> at least the funeral <laughs> expenses would take a chunk out of it to the point at which it's not worth it. What would be the starting point? What would be the starting point where Joel is like, all right, I got to consider this. A million? You need a million dollar purse. Um, in ter- if we're talking life-changing amounts of money, I think it would have to be six figures. Six at million? Least, yeah. Oh, six figures. Okay, so a million we're starting at. No, that would be seven. So I'm, I'm thinking a hundred thousands. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. My, my, my math was a little off. I'm sorry. A hundred thousand, a hundred thousand dollar cash in a briefcase, tax free, tax free. Get in a ring, sixty seconds. Mike Tyson, you down? I've, and I've got a referee who's can call it off if. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You get knocked out in the first punch. Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. Somebody's stepping in. So basically, the question is, a hundred thousand dollars to get knocked out by Mike Tyson. Yeah, but you know Mike Tyson's going to do this to you, dude. He's going to he's going to toy with you like like you're a, like like a cat playing with a fucking mouse. What was right? that match where I can't, I can't remember the one, but when he makes his entrance and there's that music which is just like these really sinister low chords, like something out of a horror film, and he just looks absolutely terrifying. Do you know the one I'm talking about? No, Ho Tyson. Yeah, I, I want to look it up. I don't know. But yeah, he's. Uh, I tell you what, just look at the video now of him training, and imagine those body shots going to your ribs. Uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. All right, so all right, so let's book it. Harold is listening right now. Tokyo Dome, Joel against Mike Tyson, and all you need is a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> right, Michael Spinks. You got to look up. This is from June twenty seventh, nineteen eighty eight. And it's just the most chilling thing I've ever seen. He, he looks like he's him. about to get it... in the ring and like literally kill him. <laughs> he destroys him in like twenty seconds. I think that match was that 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 fight was in uh, Atlantic City, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Maybe Vegas, but yeah, he was a fucking monster. Like just just destroying people. Like well, that. Ugh. Yeah, he was he was a monster. 
Fucking Tyson. Holy shit. Yeah, and like I said, 50-something years old, he's training right now. And he looked like he could fucking... He's, he looked mean. <laughs> he looked mean. Whew. All right, there we go. A little something for us. Um, there's a couple of questions from Nehek on the discords. Silly questions. Pants up or down. Yoshihashi slims down to join the juniors, fused with Taguchi and wins the affections of Abe Miho. And one more, what could possibly be the secret of Milano Collection 80's ageless handsomeness? Uh, I mean, you know, listen. Some some people people got the good genes, right? <laughs> I'm jealous of those people. I certainly It must be don't. his Italian bloods. You know, Italians age really well, don't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. You know? It's a wine. The vino. Um... And then the other ones, Yoshihashi, I mean, I, I think if anybody's that's happy that New Japan shut down, it's probably Yoshihashi. Oh, and did you see in John's rap, he had a, a bag of socks graphic when he talked about Yoshihashi? I did. I did see that. I did see that. I did see that. Yeah, that was a great job. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Ah, creative as fuck. Nice job. All right, let's do Twitter then. Uh, these are some from last week. So Tofa says, do you think there's ever been a roster in any company with a... Th- as many amazing in-ring performances New Japan had between 2014-2016. Basically, the top stars of each major company today was on that roster. Styles, Omega, Bucks, Elgin, uh, who's a big deal on Impact, Naito, Okada, etc. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah. yeah. I mean... That was, that was a roster, right? That was a roster. I mean, we, we may look back at this roster, too, in a few years' time and be like, wow... Don't know what you got till it's gone. But here's the thing: it's it's weird. It's a weird time in pro wrestling where everybody's getting scooped up. Let's be honest. NXT, they got a nice roster. They don't know what the fuck to do with them. They got a nice roster. Uh, but yeah, that 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 group. <laughs> you just start writing some of those names down on a notebook and like, holy shit! What a time to be a pro wrestling fan. Rob says, what do you think of the chances of the Japanese promotions banding together for a super show? How would you like it to work? Personally, I think showcase matches per promotion and no crossovers, less politics. Which New Japan matches would you put forward? Naito versus Hiromu for me. So if you were in charge of this thing, Damien, would you mix it up between promotions or have uh, guys competing against other guys from their own promotions? I think you do it like you did um, that Dome show, that, that weekly pro show, where not too much mixing up. Um, but you, I think some just just to grease the wheel. Um, they and they might look like tag matches, right? Um, but specifically, that was mentioned that Hiromo Naito match. That's 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 a nice spot to do that match that people still want to see. So if they do something like that, I think we'll see the majority of it not be cross promotional. I think you'll see some. I think there'll be minor matches, uh, you know. Maybe not your your big four, but wouldn't that be a nice spot for Naito and, and uh, Hiromo? They got to do that match. Yeah, you can't just people, forget about it. People were heartbroken when that was off the table. Right. And if we're going to do something like that, you know, a little cross-promotional thing, get everybody back on their feet again. What is it? High tide raises all boats, right? Get everybody kind of jump-started. Get everybody interested. Maybe get some eyeballs on a product that you know, may, might not have as many eyeballs as, as, as another. I think fans would come out in droves. I think it's a good start. 
I think it's a nice start. You could do that. I, I I'm in on that idea. I I don't know the logistics of it, but you mean to tell me Big Japan, who fucking had had to do a a a, 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 a what a GoFundMe or a, you know crowdsourcing for money to keep them afloat, wouldn't be all in on that idea, <laughs> right? Right? You don't think all Japan's like okay, so where do I sign for that? I mean, let's be honest. If I say let's be honest one more time, just fucking shoot me. But um, New Japan is the monkey wrench in that one. We we know that, right? <laughs> right, right. Do do we do we want to be involved in in, in with other promotions? Um, I don't think it would be a bad idea. They've done it before. What's the big deal? I say do it, do it, do it, Harold. All right, our next question, sticking with the boxing. Uh, Chris says, are either of you two into boxing? And if so, who do you think will eventually unify all the belts? It's a tough question. I think, based off the last couple of fights, you picked Tyson Fury. But I don't know if Wilder's actually a bit pants. So it's hard to say. Then again, he did beat Klitschko when he was genuine in the top. So I would say Fury. I don't know. You a fan of modern boxing, Damon? Maybe not modern, but there, I do have somewhat of a, of a minor fascination with... And again, it might be just a nostalgia itch but like sugar ray leonard i was watching a documentary on speaking of documentaries we were talking a bunch of uh documentaries with some friends uh joel involved in that as well uh who passed along some recommendations um i was watching a documentary on roberto duran the boxer and i found that to be fascinating him and uh you know his fights with thomas hearns and sugar ray leonard and marvin hagler and that whole era was that was pretty fucking cool. If you, I, I think it's called I Am Duran, actually. And I got excited because I thought it was about Duran Duran at first, but it wasn't obviously. Um, yes, uh, I I would say go out of your way to, to catch that because I thought that was really good. Couple of music Damon questions. Kid Kilowatt says, "What do you think about my favorite band of all time, Guided by Voices?" And Daryl says, "Have you gotten into the band Cast from Liverpool, headed by John Power from the?" The last LA's there isn't a bad track on their the debut last. album. If you haven't, please check them out. So thoughts on Guided by Cast. Voices and Cast. I love Cast. Uh, they do a song called "All Right" uh, that I is it's in constant rotation on a playlist. Yeah, very good. Uh, they do another song too. What's the other song that they do that I really like? Um, yes, I definitely know Cast, uh, and I, I am definitely a fan. So good job there, Guided by Voices. I'm trying to think. They do that song. Bulldog skin, if I'm not mistaken, right? That was probably their biggest hit in the states. Um, can't really say I've dug too deeper into Guided by Voices, but uh, I am familiar with them. But yeah, Cast is uh, I definitely like Cast a lot. Raphael says, "Should Bushy Road or Cyber Agent buy Newcastle United just to stave off the WWE Saudi axis of evil?" Yeah, it w- I would really prefer it if Newcastle weren't bought by Saudis, but. Uh... You know, just just throw them in the pile with other uh, big football teams that are owned by billionaire powerhouses that we can no longer compete with. So just one more place down the table will slide in the future. Oh, how's how's, how's the season looking? They're talking about uh, coming back soon, right? Yeah, Operation Restart, I think it's called. So they're looking at the German Bundesliga, which is reopening, and this weekend, right? Yeah, obviously there's going to be ups and downs with that and you know there's news coming out of Brighton and Hove Albion that a few of their players are down with the the virus as well so uh, I just don't want to see it I just if it were up to me I'd just cancel the whole thing and start again next season from scratch but 
if it's on TV, will I watch it? Yeah, you know, I yes. want to see how Arsenal do. And watching it sort of from a morbid curiosity standpoint, like what this weird, you know, behind closed doors football thing might look like. Um, but it, would it impact the game itself? Like, you can watch a, a, a game like that. Like, I think pro wrestling needs fans because they're doing things to get reaction from a crowd. Uh, football, that's, it's going to be football, right? At yeah. The end, at the, yeah. I think the crowd reaction helps it and makes a lot of special moments, but it doesn't depend on the crowd in order to function like pro wrestling does. Yeah, I gotta be honest with you. I don't want to hear you chanting. Keep it quiet. <laughs> You'd have a good time going to the Arsenal Stadium then. <laughs> really? Pretty silent there? <laughs> good. I like that. Keep it down. I don't need all this, I don't need all this singing, all the chanting. I just want to watch a fucking game. I don't want to sing. Nice almighty. All right. There's 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 Damon the American waving his flag. Richard, you at the stadium. Shh! Sit down. Yeah, keep it down, please. Oh dear. Okay. And okay, we've got a lot of questions from this week. Might have to save them until next week. Let's do one of them. Keeping it strong style. Uh, the boys over there asking yeah. what's more impactful to the future success or lack thereof. For New Japan, Ricky Choshu jumping ship to go to All Japan, or Akira Maeda shoot kick on Choshu. Um, when when Ricky left, that was that was impactful, more for All Japan than I would say a loss for New Japan, because what Choshu did was he brought the fire to All Japan. Um, I don't know if you were in on the conversation that we had over the weekend. Um, we were, I was talking about Terry Funk, um, uh, on our, on our watch along and we were going, kind of going back and forth and he really, re- uh, Manabu was, wasn't really into the style of, of seventies and he was more of a new Japan guy. Um, I felt like Choshu brought the fire to all Japan during that time. Um, and it helped elevate games of like Jumbo and Tenru and all those guys. The kick, it, the kick is a monumental. I mean, you think about the the lineage of the kick, right? that shoe kick, Maeda on Choshu. Maeda gets suspended. Maeda already has a reputation of being a fucking loose cannon. In the ring, a little dangerous, a little. There's always that again. I talked about that. Always that little element of danger. Well, he finally fucking potatoes Choshu. Gets suspended. They don't renew his contract. Starts UWF. Kids, that's the beginning of 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 mixed martial arts. I saw somebody tweet something hilarious, and I I captured the tweet. It's still on my phone today. It was a joke, mind you, but it was like. You know, MMA wasn't started by a bunch of pajama wear wearing, uh, you know, Gracies. Started by Tiger Mask and, you know, I, I forget the exact words, but it was funny at the time. Um, it's the truth. You know, that kick started a pro wrestling, rena- well, not pro wrestling renaissance, but like a, a, a changing of thought. UWF exploded. It was huge. It was selling out big buildings. And the lore of it. And and then you had the offshoots that sprung from that one group. Uh, you know, and that led to Suzuki, and that led to Funaki. Not uh, Funaki. Um you know, it which which blended into into MMA stuff 
rings and which wasn't MMA, but even more geared toward pride, UFC. Like these things were, you could trace back to that one fucking kick. I mean, there's other things that happened that helped promote, you know, help get you to that point too. But let's be honest, we could trace it back to that one fucking kick. I think that's. I think that. I think that kick is one of the most significant historical things in the history of pro wrestling. I'll go. I'll go that far as to say it's one of those benchmark moments in in pro wrestling. Um, whereas Choshu jumping ship to all Japan ha- helped all Japan, but let's be honest. By the end, by the, by the end of '87, he was back in New Japan, right? So now nah, I think that kick. That was a benchmark in pro wrestling. Yeah, I did ask Manabuti what his thoughts were, and he said that Maeda kick because after that happened, he said many fans thought Maeda was stronger than Choshu, and New Japan was damaged a lot. But after Choshu left New Japan to move to All Japan, they still had the New Japan versus UWF stuff, so it was still uh, could keep some popularity there. Um, I'll tell you what, that would be an interesting deep dive of anyone making a documentary to look at that shoot kick and how it changed the landscape of things in Japan. That's the documentary I want to see. You got that right. So I don't listen. I I think Dark Side of the Ring is 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 a pretty great watch, um, and I like you know, uh, the other documentaries that we see. The Kenny Omega one I saw. I mean that was good. Um, you know maybe they do a Death Island match one too. Who knows? <laughs> Somebody does. Um, get get on that. You trace back MMA UFC. UFC bought Pride, uh, and there's a lot of discussion about you know MMA in our Discord, by the way, FYI. But um, look, you can go back and back that shoot kick, how that changed not, pro wrestling and mixed martial arts, and it that one moment changed a lot of of, of what we see in modern day pro wrestling for for decades. Somebody's got to do a documentary on that. That's that's the documentary I want to see. Okay, uh, Renegade Dugong says, who would be your number one pick for the first never openweight title challenger on the first New Japan show back? So, Who's, who's never champion? Uh, Shingo, isn't it? <laughs> okay, is it? Okay, just making sure. I've, fuck, I was like, I don't know who it is. I haven't seen it in a while. Shingo. Hmm. Who do you want? You know what I want? I'll give you one. And, and if we're starting back, and we're starting back slow. We're not going to start back super hot. This might be a great... Empty arena match. How about Hanare? Yeah, they were kind of building towards that, weren't they? There was little rumblings as Hanare was picking up pinfalls that he wanted to challenge Shingo. And then he lost to him in a tag match and was kind of sent to the back of the queue. But uh, they had a pretty good singles match towards the tail end of last year and definitely on a with, with more up for grabs, high stakes. I think it would be a good one. Uh, another one I was going to pick would be Taichi because I thought... The two of them had a terrific match. I think it was at Koraka when during the G1 last year. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't, be a, wouldn't, wouldn't have a problem with that. I, I kind of want a little bit of a build-up, just to wet our palate a little bit. I think Hanari would be great in that role. So, I would go there. Okay, let's do a question from... Let's do one more. One more. Uh, Jackie Groom says, mm. Yokozuna Hakaho. 
was seen in the front row of this year's Wrestle Kingdom and they said he will soon retire. Would you be interested in him having a New Japan run when he's done? Guys transitioning from sumo to pro wrestling used to be pretty common, but doesn't seem to happen as much now. So to give context, Hakoho is like the Okada of the sumo world. He's just broken all the records, just destroying everyone in his path. I think he's really charismatic. He's got sort of an edge of cockiness and smunkness that has turned some people off him, but uh, he's Mongolian as well. And he's, I would love to see him in pro wrestling. I don't know if New Japan would be the best fit, but if he did decide to transition, I would be definitely excited to watch that. All right. I, I'm going to lean toward you because you know more about the sumo than I do. Absolutely. But yeah, that, that had been a traditional feeding ground for, um, pro wrestlers, right? You look back at, at some of the greats that that uh, turned into pro wrestlers. They started in, in sumo. Stick him in a dojo, see how he works out. I, I would have no problem with that um, because it's it's something that was done in the past. Uh, yeah, no problem. Do it. Do it. If, he, if he's interested in doing it, do it. All right, well, let's wrap things up then. Redcircle.com forward slash shows forward slash super dash J dash cast if you want to uh, help fit some of this hotel bill. Discord link is in the show notes if you want to join in the conversation there. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash super J cast. Massive thanks as always to editor Dan. Visit his YouTube channel and find him on Twitter at LousyHero219. And he also wants to pass on his thanks for listening to the new song, which is doing tremendous yeah. numbers at the moment. You can subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling podcast network to find other great shows like me on wrestling or magazine. Give us a five-snake review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at SuperJCast. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>